Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, bots and cons to the newly inv reinvigorated, if a little slightly damp tech talk. We'll uh, maybe get into that a little bit later. So I'm joined, as always, by Scott of Vector Sigma. Scott, how are you doing? Good. You managed I mean, to uh, survive? Considering the, considering the <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, we don't need to go into all the specifics unless you want to regale everybody with it, but I... Uh, Obviously, the holidays just recently happened, then some other real-life stuff happened, so we're, we missed a couple weeks, but we are back. We didn't disappear for good, so whether you like it or not, you're still stuck with us. <laughs> yep. So uh, hopefully if you're here and you are hearing the illustrious sound of my voice and Scott's voice that you do enjoy the content and definitely let us know what you want to see going into the new year. It's that time of year where... You know, it's worth reevaluating things. We're on episode 11, so we're into double digits, and uh, we want to make sure that we're presenting everything the way people want to. We definitely have a bunch of projects in the pipeline, which, spoiler alert, we may or may not get to today, but definitely check out VectorSigma.info. Keep your eyes peeled on Facebook and on Twitter and all the other lo places, locations and places for that sort of thing. So diving right into it. Because of the holidays, it has been a little news light, but there have been some general Transformer-related things that have gone on. So one of the things that I wanted to bring up, and we had talked a little bit about it offline, Scott, but ASCON for 2019 actually was announced as postponed for this year. So we, uh, we're not going to get a HasCon this year. I'm not sure whether that would have or will play into anything Transformers TCG related, but did you go to the last HasCon? Did you have any interest in going to the one this year? Um, so in talking to um, some of the people at, at PAX Unplugged, um, I know they were working on potentially having the TCG, uh, I guess, represented, you could say, at, at HasCon should... Should that have come to fruition? Right. I guess um, I did not go to the last one. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not a toy collector. So like for me, I'm a, I'm a card gamer. So really, my my revigorated interest in the IP happened because of the card game. Uh, right. So it, it's just not something. I, I mean, it's just not something I would have gone to um, before. I'm just not big on like like I always whenever I go to conventions, it's always like for gaming. It's not for like. Even like I don't go to like even though I watch a lot of sci-fi like I don't go to sci-fi conventions to get people's autographs and things like that like right or to go to paddles and stuff I just like to to game which is weird because then that actually winds up when people ask me I'm just like yeah I just played in some tournaments like it doesn't even matter where I was doesn't even matter like you know, <laughs> right right so um but I I think I heard there was only this was only going to be the second one I think I yes. don't know how yeah it, so and I, I guess it's all their properties that were represented so. I mean, I don't know the logistical reasons as to why it was delayed. I, I really wanted to go because I really like going to um, to Rhode Island. Up uh, there's all those uh, Gilded Age mansions that I like checking out when I'm up there. It's not a very big state, so it's right from one place to another. Um, so I was actually looking forward to like maybe making a vacation out of it uh, to check out those mansions again while being there. Um, but I mean, all I know is that it got delayed. I don't know like. Uh, what the reason is or, or anything like that. It might be related to some other general Hasbro news that we've seen, like lawsuits and things like that. So, right. Yeah. The, I think when it was initially announced, uh, at the time, BotCon, the dedicated Transformers convention was getting wound down or sunsetted or whatever phrase you want to use. Uh, and as a result, this was seen as the pseudo replacement, but I think it was even officially announced that it was only going to be every other year to begin with. So the fact that it's getting delayed now, in the back of my head, obviously there was nothing official, but in the back of my head, I always had thought, oh, well, Worlds for Transformers TCG, if it happens, would be at HasCon. Obviously, that won't be the case for this year, whether we get Worlds or not. But like I said at the beginning, it's kind of a tangentially related thing for the Transformers TCG. We'll have to wait and see if it actually has any bearing one way or the other. Yeah. Uh, moving on from there, another tangentially related thing is just there have been a number of G1 reissues. So I know you and I have talked about it offline. I've seen Devastator and Hot Rod. They recently announced Astro Train and Soundwave, which Soundwave in our interview with Drew from the Transformers TCG team, uh, we 
and a number of other interviews he's been involved in, Soundwave has come up a lot for very obvious reasons. Uh, Astrotrain, not so much, but it has been a talk recently in a lot of the various Facebook groups, in Discord, in a number of other places, as everyone's trying to figure out, well, we've seen how Metroplex works. Can we f try and calculate how triple changers or combiners would work? Uh, do, are you excited to see triple changers, or are you hoping that they get a couple more sets under their belt before we get something that wild? Uh, I mean, I'm excited to see them from the perspective of, like, it'll just be an interesting mechanic, like, you know, if the card is, like, upside down or something like that, or if it's even, right. like, two separate character cards, like, with the same front and different backs or something mm. like that, and you can just grab whichever one you want or something like that. Like, right. I, I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily, I mean... In Astro Train's case, there neither of his alt modes have the support that uh, exists at all yet, so that wouldn't be that big of a deal. It's more on the Blitzwing side, right? Um, uh, Blitzwing with, would uh, be a very interesting one because both of those tribes can use some bolstering, right? So, like to me, that's the more interesting one as it stands currently because that's the only one that we have uh, cards for planes and for right um, and for tanks, um, even like. I get uh, Springer would be car and I guess helicopter, which we don't have anything for. And then there's like, mm -hmm. there was that son, whatever his name was. I forget what his name. He was in like season three of the show. There was another trouble changer. And there's been like ones like octane, right? Which I guess would be a like truck and plane. Like there's, there's other ones that exist. Yeah. So I, uh, like, I'm not really uh, mechanically, like I said, it could be two separate character cards. It could be like an upside down character card or whatever it is. I just think, I, I guess, I, I hope, like, I think the way that you would influence it would be, like, through an increased star cost or through, you know, reduction in stats and things like that. I, I just hope that they don't, they don't overvalue having multiple alt modes for the sake of, like, stats, the way the game is currently constructed. I think that would, right. There's, it's going to be tough to balance that. I agree. The I'm very I'm sure we'll get them eventually, so if everybody's patient, we'll see what is actually in store. One interesting thing that I did see uh in some of the other conversations when a game that Wizards used to produce, Dual Masters, which I think became Kaijudo. I'm not hundred percent certain, so I'm sure somebody'll correct me on it. Uh they actually had triple sided cards. Uh so basically the card would fold out. You know, like it, it so it it I mean maybe I'm not describing it well, but basically if you picture a card and then just kind of like a birthday card, it would open up, um, and then it would show different sides. So that's another way that they could possibly handle it. The physical mechanics of it to me are kind of almost like a Christmas present. Like I'm really excited to see what it is, and then I guess I'll see how excited I am after I open it up, and if it turns out to be socks or <laughs> one of the toys that my wonderful wife got me. Let me see if I can get this on camera. Uh, there it is. So we got the uh, Bumblebee movie sound wave over here. Speak of the devil. But anyway, enough about the toys. So moving on from there to dedicated TCG stuff. We actually had a one number thing, of recent events. One, one thing real quick. Oh, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. And we could just talk about this tangentially. Like, I guess I just kind of find it interesting that people are so concerned about mechanics that are on characters that aren't as popular as I would think they were. I mean, like, I think the two original Triple Changers had a decent amount of show play, and Octane right. had a decent amount as well, but, like, I mean, I think people are... And I, I the Combiners obviously have, have a lot of play, and so of course. Downway, but I think there are certain mechanics that I think are just, like, for the heck of it, people want to see them, like, exploited, but in reality, like, I, I mean, we're, we're one set in, and we there's already... Uh, I guess there's already, like normal characters we don't see yet that only right. have one alt mode or, or like you know like to me things like devastator i think are probably more uh important for the game to have than it is to have like trouble changing mechanics right so I'm, well I'm not too worried about it. i think to some extent it's also a factor of the the clientele so to speak so in this particular case it if you look at it from a game mechanics perspective, it's going to be interesting because it's, okay, how do you solve this physical issue with trying to show three sides on a two-sided thing? So from mm -hmm. a, a game mechanic perspective, I get the curiosity. But from the property perspective, I think it's also interesting because, yes, you have people that are super attached to them, but I think there's also a number of people that 
said someone's super excited about it and they said hey i wonder how they're going to do astro train and then everyone else or a lot of other people go oh yeah i remember that guy how are they gonna and that's what kind of snowballs the discussion i don't know yeah. if people and maybe i'm wrong but i don't know it to your point that there is this huge following specifically for the triple changer so listeners out there if you are a triple changer fan let us know and why i yeah. love the triple changers but i'm i am like you scott i'm curious as to why why those uh as opposed to say jumping into the combiners like you were suggesting yeah i mean i've watched some cool videos since there was one in there was supposedly one in bumblebee because they named the character blitzwing and you would assume it was blitzwing um right so I've seen some interesting videos on them and, and their history with some of the YouTube right. content that's out there. But to me, like I, I totally forgot that Octane was the reason that Starscream's ghost came back to life and whatever happened to him. And yeah, yeah. So. Well, he there was I mean, a, there's a huge digression about what I think, if I remember correctly, Octane was really supposed to be Astro Train, and it came down to a we want to sell a new toy sort right. of thing. Right. Right. I, th- I think it was, yeah, I think it was that too. Um, yeah, I mean, that. to be fair, that's like the entirety of season two of G1, but yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, another yeah, story. Exactly. Um, yeah. A lot of those, I I think you're right that there are a bunch of other mechanics, so you could even go as wild as Headmasters and Target Masters and all the other Masters and all these other things, which actually recently got lines, so Power of the Primes. Uh, and Combiner Wars and, well, Combiner Wars obviously was Combiners, not Headmasters, but you get, everybody out there gets the point that these were actually recent reintroductions of characters that otherwise people may not have cared about. Yeah. Or I'm sure there were fan clubs out there and characters like Chrome Dome have gotten a lot of attention in the comics as I try and put Dead End back on the shelf and can't manage to do it. Uh, <laughs> characters like Chrome Dome have gotten a lot of attention in the comics, but before the comics, would anybody have cared about the Headmaster? Um, so it'll be interesting if those sort of mechanics, because you could easily make target masters who turn into weapons. Okay, it's a guy that his alt mode is an upgrade. Right. Which will be interesting to see. But I... I do agree with you, I guess, the underlying point that I think there's enough characters that they should flesh out first, and then, not that I don't want to see these other characters, but I'll, I don't care who you get, once you get Soundwave and a card, then then we'll talk, alright? <laughs> Until Soundwave's a card, I'm going to keep asking about him, even though I know he's yeah, coming. <laughs> that's fair. I mean, I, I just think, I've just been, I guess I've just been watching a lot of, like, G1-focused material and it's like it's always the same characters that come up like the comics i've been reading or the right or the videos i've been watching and it's like a lot of these guys are kind of yeah they were there but they're on the back shelf the only ones like i said that i really haven't seen yet are, are like from a mechanical perspective sound wave and the, and devastator is the combiner it just kind of got like a little bit crazy once you know Dinobots can combine and Fembots can combine and yeah, everything it, under the sun. So, well, I mean, there was an entire line of picking random characters that never combined before, and now suddenly Wheeljack and Ironhide are combiners. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> funny and story. A, and a lot of that's based on like what I've noticed, what I've heard is like other media that the Transformers have existed in, which is way past my time, but apparently right. not way past other people's time. So, mm-hmm. well, I mean, so anyway, it's just a digression. But oh no, that's fine. We've said it before that it it's now a property that's spanning multiple decades so it somebody's g1 air quotes you know like where they got into the property could be robots in disguise in the early 2000s it could be the bay movies at this point yeah. you know it, it could be anything whether it, it's yeah. the original g1 whatever so uh i guess from there are you okay moving on to the uh tournament reports yeah definitely so we had a couple of recent events, including, and I'm going to kind of pitch this one to you, Scott, that Vector Sigma sponsored, I guess, would be the most appropriate way to put it. So it was a charity event, and uh, I guess I can turn it over to you from there, Scott. Tell us a little bit about what was the driving force behind it, what was it, and what are your thoughts on it? Um, I get, So the driving force was just that I actually saw on the, the main Transformers Facebook page at the beginning of December that they were... You know, because they're a toy company and a, a toy line, they were all in favor of Toys for Tots. Um, so I said, oh, well, why not have an event where we make, you know, a charity be the entrance fee for the event. And then we try to cover, um, obviously, like a toy costs X. And then, like, you know, everyone would show up with one and then we would supplement 
whatever they spent on the toy to make sure there weren't decreased prizes because they technically weren't buying in as much uh, to the event, which is, you know, how most typical stores work is they try to give back. Of course. Uh, most, if not all, if not over what the entrance fee is uh, to any event in prize structure. So we tried to supplement some of that. We actually, um, we provided uh, rares and even a super rare bumblebee as extra prizes that people at the top four drafted. Right. Uh, after the fact, so that was like something that the store we ran at Top Deck Games did not, uh, we didn't, you know, that wasn't like their single stock or anything like that. Um, we gave out bounties on when players beat us all full of uh, battle card rares. Um, so, uh, you know, we had, it, it was the Sunday, the... It was the Sunday, right, not right before Christmas, but right. the week before. The one, yeah. The week before, the week before Christmas. So, um, I mean, we hope that when we do this again, uh, you know, we'll have more lead time because obviously we didn't have a lot of lead time for it. Um, and that it would, it would become part of a regular schedule of events that we're trying to get started. Um, so it'll just be the, the typical, you know, more of the December event than it would be as its own standalone, uh, event that it was this time. Right. I think we had four, we had 14 players show up for Sunday, which is pretty good. Um, Right, especially no. given the season and, like you said, the short notice. There were there were definitely some dedicated people out there, and the terrible weather that was out there. It was like pouring. Yeah, there. exactly. So, um, and and yet, I mean, I guess, I guess my only trepidation is just that, like, I, I, I know there's a lot of local players I would have liked to have seen there that we had seen at other events that I would have liked to to also see uh, there as well. But I mean, overall, it was a great time. I mean, we. Um, we basically try to run new deck ideas in a in a tournament setting, so like uh, like an extended playtest session. I guess yeah, you could we say. do have uh, some funny stuff to report about that. <laughs> yeah. Um. So of the, I, I think four of us, none of us ran anything that was like a quote meta. Yeah, meta deck. So um, many of those. None of us were on bugs, and none of us were on primes. But half of us were on Metroplex, and half of us were on rare Megatron. <laughs> yeah, we try to. Mark and I try to. I mean, we and again, I, I've said it many times in different types of medium, but like to me, even changing your deck by four cards is still a ten percent change, even if you have the same uh, character lineup. Right. Um, you can see that, for example, even if you just look at like Joe's of Wreck and Rule, his primes list is vastly different than mine. Um, I think you would see like testing ten games against one and testing ten games against the other, you'd probably get different results. Right. Um so like Mark and I's lists were, were different from one another. Um we both had the same character lineup of Rare Megatron, Flame War, and Barrage. Because we couldn't find a better seven that really had any synergy with anything. Right. Um just an attempt to pr try to use him as like a, a, you know, every time he attacks, he takes somebody down type of situation, mm -hmm. um, and try to try to abuse both his abilities as best as possible. So, right. Qu and then, oh, go ahead. No, uh, you. I know you ran Metroplex. I know uh, John Palmer ran Metroplex. Right. More traditional build. You ran a more, I think, defensive build. Was that the one you ran? That yeah, time? I ran a very weird build, which I alluded to in an article that uh, actually just went up recently on. Vector Sigma, but the article is focused on a different topic. Uh, that deck needs a little more time in the oven. Um, yeah. It, it, I feel as though, and I've said this to a lot of, basically anybody who would listen within earshot. So a lot of people out there listening may already be sick of hearing this, including you, Scott, but he has 35 health. It feels as though you could, you don't necessarily have to play into his ability because it's just such a gigantic health pool and because of his weird mechanics that you gain characters over the course of the game instead of losing them? Yeah. Um, I mean, we drive to the event together and back, um, and it's like an hour drive each way. So, like, uh, we kind of discussed that, mm -hmm. the, 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 the weirdness factor, I guess you could say, of playing the deck and having it played against you. And I think that... I guess as time goes on, as, as people start to, to see it more in their local events or in their playtesting, mm -hmm. it may it may change, but it's certainly a different deck to play against because of a hundred percent because the characters more more characters coming into play than less um, as the game goes on. Like 
it's just a weird like you're expecting like I'm gonna attack with this guy, and then all of a sudden they pop out one of the like it, it, let's just say you're not expecting them to be able to get at a bot because they're they only get one flip a turn, but then they play like a rapid inversion or a rollout or something like that, and then like you're able to immediately get back right uh, into the mode. Yeah. Um, all of a sudden they can choose to attack with the other bot and leave Metroplex quote protected, and then you have to waste an attack on the mini bot. Right. Um, it feels mm, almost like cars because you get a pseudo on tapping yeah. effect where you mess with the wheel turns. Right. And then so that gives you an option to basically have this usually six base attacker with, you know, with the ability if it goes off with other things, if that happens, it, I mean, a lot of the builds are going to be focused on bold. So like, right. You're always doing like eight or nine damage and having a giant health pool. Like, like you said, like the, the damage trigger, if it goes off, um, obviously is a good thing, but it, it, it's, it's not as lock you down as I thought it was going to be initially, but on the flip side, like it does play pretty well. And it does put you in situations where you're like, Oh, I really can't like, it's almost like you can't win because like if you, if any one of those mini bots survives an attack, you're really far behind. Yeah. Like if they just get the cards to keep getting them out, um, there's an issue. And again, like I've said many times, and I don't know if I've written it down or not officially, but like the game to me is still half play skill, almost like 35, you know, 30% uh, a deck build, and then, you know, 15% like quote luck, like, you know, luck of the draw and anything, like because we have such low hand sizes and things like that. So, like, right. when you are, when you do have such a giant, Bot and such a, you know, a redundancy in how you build the decks. Um, it's surprisingly more resilient as a as a top tier deck than you think, and especially if you're going to a situation where you're not going to be playing the other meta decks. Like it, it, to me, it's it, it's solidly a tier two deck. It has a lot of game. Absolutely, like every deck out there, and it especially against other tier two decks. So I've I've talked about other like trying to you know have alternate formats and things like that if your meta is getting stale and things like that. And, like, I, I like in, to me, in more limited format games, you have to ban him because he's just too powerful, like, outside of a meta that doesn't include meta-defining things. So, right. He is surprisingly uh, consistent if you build it a certain way, and like you said, it can feel oppressive if you're not running top-tier stuff because he'll just randomly come down and crunch somebody for, like, 15. Oh, and I'll tap down your entire team. Good luck. Yeah. You know, like, it, it, he can do some unfair things. It, it, he kind of rides that line of... it. I don't like calling something Tier 1.5 because it should... To me, it should. there's a clear delineation. Either it's Tier 1 or it's not. But it does feel like it's approaching that because of... Sometimes it just feels so powerful. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess the reason, ah. the only reason why I'm okay with saying it is because I think, in absence of those top tier decks, and even against them, but it definitely in absence of them, it's of it's arguably like the most, if not like in the top three powerful decks, if you don't count those tier one decks. So right, um, and again, again, because because we have such low hand sizes to start with and things like that, like there's no reason you can't steal a game with a better, more conducive hand than your opponent can, depending on how they build their deck. Absolutely. And I think going back to your earlier point of because of the weirdness of how it plays, and you had mentioned it also, that until people play more games with it, it is entirely possible that you're going to outplay or trick your opponent because their brain is just geared towards, oh, well, in the Bugs matchup, I do this. Against Primes, I want to do that. Well, what in God's name do you do against somebody who plops out a 3-3-3 tank? in the middle of the game. Like it's not a a thing that unless you play it, you may just not know what your appropriate response is for your deck in that scenario. Or it, it, are you planning ahead for any of the three that could come out? Okay. Well you can one shell stand slammer, but you can't do that to six gun or uh, scamper. So how are you addressing that? Cause now they're essentially force fields cause they're going to soak a bunch of damage. It, it definitely yeah, changes and we, things. And target selection is the hardest part of the game. So, like, choosing who you attack with and who you attack 
is the hardest decisions that you make every single turn. Right. Uh, usually, uh, I mean, obviously, there's there's there can be easy decisions, but when you're when that when those decisions are becoming more and more complicated by uh, like guys that weren't out in play before, um, it just becomes uh, difficult to deal with. Absolutely. So yeah, I do think that Metroplex is somebody to keep an eye on. I the math has already been run. He's kind of. I think most of the builds are homogenizing in one way or another, except for my weird, really, really weird one. Uh, so I don't recommend anybody go down that route just yet unless you you really hate yourself, because you're going to have some games where you hate yourself. But uh, other than that, uh, any other thoughts from the charity tournament? No, it was a good time. I mean, uh, like I said, uh, hopefully we'll just continue to build up the local scene and, and go from there. If anybody out there has their own ideas, we mentioned this leading up to it, but just because it's, the holidays are now behind us doesn't mean you can't run a charity event just for the sake of it. There are always plenty of good charities. There are also no reason that you can't just run your own tournaments. I know, Scott, you've said it in multiple places before. It doesn't necessarily have to be first-party organized play. Third-party organized play, a.k.a. you go to your store and say, hey, store, I want to run an event couple weeks from now, we want to run it on this day. Let's organize a tournament. That's a thing. So if you're interested in playing with other people, getting out there, supporting the game, and you know probably making some new friends in the process, then definitely talk to your local store, talk to your local whatever, even if it's not a gaming store. I know there are Barnes and Nobles and things like that that actually host events also. Yeah, I've even seen restaurants host it. Exactly, yeah. There's, there's always plenty of options, and it's not necessarily... You know, in retrospect, they're going to seem obvious. So definitely, you might as well ask, what are they going to do? Say no? Okay. Then you move to the next one. So uh, aside from that, we did also have a couple other events this past weekend hosted that were also local events. Also got double-digit turnouts, which is really cool. Uh, I ended up taking one down with CARS, which is a slightly modified list. You can head over to VectorSigma.info to check out the write-up on that. And then... The other one was taken, John officially won that one, if I'm correct, right? Yeah, I think so. And he was running Metroplex there as well. He ran it at, I managed to squeak past him, speaking of Metroplex, with cars uh, in the first event, which is really cool. So uh, it was definitely a lot of fun. Again, it's another thing where just talk to people, shout out to everyone that's putting that stuff together. I know Scott... You and Mark are working on it. There's a different Mark that organized this other event. I'm not sure who was hosting the one at Golden Eagle or who organized that. Uh, oh, and before I forget, I do want to also give a shout out to Joe from the Wreck and Rule crew for letting us use his video equipment, which, spoiler alert, we're hopefully going to get some of the feature matches up very soon onto YouTube. So uh, keep your eyes peeled for that. Yeah, thanks, Joe, for... Uh... Because they, I mean, you you watch Wreck and Rolls videos, I'm sure they they have a really nice setup. Oh yeah, that Joe uses. So uh, I really appreciate him bringing that. It wasn't as hard as we thought it was going to be. So definitely yeah, appreciate that. Yeah, thanks, Joe. And I, anybody, if you don't know what we're talking about, check out Wreck and Rule on YouTube. Give them some likes, follows, thumbs up, whatever whatever the hell those things over there are called. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> subscribers. Yeah, exactly. I couldn't think of the word. I was like, I'm like, if I just keep talking, I'll eventually figure it out. And then I got to the end and gave up. And congratulations to them for just hitting a thousand subscribers. Oh, you're right. Yeah, they did. Congrats, guys. Well-deserved. So um, from there, like I said, final sum up for me is just going to be talk to your stores, talk to people. There are people out there who want to play events. We see it come up constantly of, when is Wizards going to do their thing? It doesn't have to be them. It would be nice, but it doesn't have to be. So definitely get out there and, and talk to your local stores. But uh, I guess if you didn't have anything else to throw in on that, Scott, do you want to move into the Blue Menace? Sure. So to preface this, in case people weren't already sick of hearing my voice, we wanted to talk a little bit about what is currently, I think, I, I don't want to say universally accepted, but it seems pretty universal that Prime's defensive Prime, so Nemesis and Optimus Battlefield Legend, is considered, air quotes, the best deck. As in, you you want you go to an event, you want to win it, you want to give your best yourself the best chance for victory, you're probably playing this. Now, there are arguments for other builds, but 
if that's the top dog and we're and we assume that that is the case and whether it is or is not is a different discussion but we're just going to say it is for now or i am how do you beat it and so we wanted to talk a little bit about that so there are two different approaches scott which one do you want to start with um i think we should start with the the existing one that we know way with the the aggro approach i would say okay so do you want to outline a little bit of how that functions or do you want me to take the lead on that one no i i can start it um i mean it's already mark had an article on vector sigma like a week or two ago around how he would like literally step by step as to how the insecticon matchup against prime should go so if our if you just want some advice in general as to how to play an aggressive deck against it, I would highly recommend you look at that article, even if you're not simply playing Insecticons, because I think it'll lay out the reasons why you're doing certain things in that matchup. So right. definitely take a, a look there. But I, I think what you need to I think what people misunderstand is that at least the primes build that I played at PAX Unplugged and, and I, I know a lot of people have picked up with, you know, six pieces of direct damage, et cetera, get to 11, all that kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> you have to understand that it was made to combat Insecticons. So the meta began with an extremely aggro slant. Um, I had played Cars for a while that has a good matchup against it, and other versions of aggro, and it was extremely high, heavy ag meta. And then the Primes deck was created and modified to go the entire opposite route with the, with it's not, you know, as as opposite of, like, you know, it's not all blue, my version, at least. Um, as, like, you know, as an Insecticon deck is all orange. But, you know, because I heavily, you know, I, I heavily rely on things like body armor and treasure hunt and things like that. And, right. And, blank, and blanks and stuff. But the point is, is that it, it is a heavily um, defensive build. So to me, the, it, it's just a different side of the spectrum. I mean, I remember when we talked about Insecticons, being all the way to the right, let's say, of the aggro spectrum, this is mo- pretty much different versions of it, of course, like all the way to the left in terms of control being on the left and, and aggro being on the right. Um, the question just is, is there room in this game to not be on one of those poles? And what does that look like? So we've tried different things from there. One of the things that um, uh, is especially mentioned in Mark's article, I know, and I know um, Palmer's mentioned it in some of his articles around Insecticons is, and this is not something that I had done, and I know you did it in your cars build, for example, is just modify your, the pieces are there to modify the aggro decks to make them a little less aggressive. Right. And with like ramming speeds or debilitating crystals, because the Primes deck relies so heavily on tough based armor. Right. Um, which I prefer over things like Force Field and obviously over things like Static Armor because the only Static Armor you can really rely on is only going to give you one armor anyway. Right. Um, so, like, you're heavily reliant on your tough armor sticking. Uh, pretty much any control deck, to be honest with you, is, is, is reliant on that because they just don't have enough armor built into them uh, to start with, just the way the game is slanted. Of course. Um, of course, starting with two or three and having a huge health pool means that can survive a few turns, even if that's constantly what's happening to you every single turn. But um, I guess I, I guess you have to. I know I've said in the past, if you, if you're like a longtime listener of the podcast, you know I dissed on things like main deck ramp speeds and things like that in the past. But like I guess you you there there's room to go that route and go that route more heavily. Well, Again, I think the meta's evolved since we had those yeah. conversations. So I don't think it was wrong at the time. And I, I think the, the reason I bring it up and cut you off there is that I think that's an important distinction to make is it may have been true then. It may still be true now. It's still a, an evolving process, but it's worth reevaluating based on where we are today. Yeah, I think you just have to make decisions in your deck as to what's most important. Like, I mean, to me... Running things like drill arms doesn't really cost you very much, especially out of uh, mid-range decks or out of. Um, it might cost you. Like I wouldn't run in Insecticons, but like if, well, yeah. if you were in heavily, heavily uh, in in decks that are still running a certain number of blues anyway, you know, Energon Axe, and like I know you ran one drill arms over one Energon Axe in your cars deck. Like to me, it doesn't cost you much because even if you got a static one attack um, and drew the card, you can always just 
replace it later. It doesn't really cost you anything other than your upgrade phase, which you could just make an intelligent decision not to do that if you don't want to, or to do it if you want to draw into something else. It doesn't cost you much in terms of tempo, right? To play to play that, and then ramming speed is orange. So like in the heavily orange based decks, it's not lost on you there. Again, it's just an opportunity cost of playing it, but. In, in decks like cars or decks like Dinobots, like you can't, if you can't get through a body armor or a reinforced plating, like you, you're not going to win. Right. So like, it, it, it if you're gonna run things like one shot stand, one shot fall, plasma burst, even things like Dino Chomp, supercharge, like our ramming speed will actually do more than all of those if they have the armor to play. Right. Uh, because. It'll save them so much more life over the over the course of the game. So the way my rule of thumb, both when I'm playing and when I'm building stuff, uh, and Scott, feel free to correct me if you, however you go about it, or if you think this doesn't make sense, is right now since you have those polar opposite decks, you have primes where it's virtually all blue, and then you have bugs where it's virtually all orange on the other end. Any of those supercharges or any of those body armors or reinforced plating or whatever the case may be, you kind of have to assume that the bold or the tough is getting them the appropriate battle pip that they need in that scenario. So it it's safe to assume that in the Primes deck, if they stick a body armor on either of them, that they're probably deflecting seven damage every time. Their base two, the tough three, plus their two flips. Yes, the there are some non-blues in the deck, but overall, you're probably going to get that. So to your point about ramming speed potentially doing more, you have to do the calculation of, am I going to get three more, more than three damage from my own flips versus just popping it and reducing their three damage there? Now, you do have a, you have to get over a certain threshold because they they're going to block for baseline, but that's usually where I'm coming at it from of, okay, I need to hit double digits basically to do anything against a body armored up prime, whichever one it happens to be. I mean, people love leap into battle. And to me, a ramming speed on a body armor is a leap into battle and it's orange. So exactly. Again, if you know that, that this deck is going to be in your meta, or you know that other decks are going to be running body armor with the ability to get this many blues. I mean, it seems like a no-brainer. And, and and I know, and, and to me, the universality of a ramming speed being able to like take out utilities and weapons is not as important to me. Mm-hmm. Because armor has an immediate effect on the, like, immediate and permanent effect on the board, whereas the weapon usually has already done its job. Right. Um, I guess, it's, I guess like an exception would be like the Ion, Ion Blaster of Prime adding armor and things like that but like and that's so that's why i prefer say that again i think i lost you scott you you had said that you preferred what Uh uh-oh i think i might have lost him so i apologize ladies and gentlemen if we did we're going to try and see if we can get him back on here um let's see uh Add a stream marker there so that I know where to uh, try and edit everything from. Yep. Looks like he dropped off the Discord call. Up. Oh, are you back? Sorry. Uh, yeah, sorry. I had a phone, phone call came through. Sorry. Oh, no problem. So the last thing I heard is uh, you were talking about ramming speed and uh, you didn't need you didn't care that much about popping weapons or utilities, but it cut off right when you said you prefer something, but I didn't catch what it was. That's why I prefer like drill arms. Gotcha. It has a double immediate effect. It gives you the plus one and takes out the the armor that you want to take out. So right. That's why I mean you'll see if you read even my primes list. I always had drill arms in my primes list to begin with for an anticipated uh, meta that had eventually formed. So yes, uh, I do appreciate that. Occasionally, you'll pop things with uh ramming speed uh because ramming speed and its ilk kind of fell out of favor for a while every once in a blue moon you do see people trying to set up say an energon axe on an untapped character or a grenade launcher on untapped character every once in a blue moon you get to catch somebody but yeah overall i if drill arms was orange i would have been playing that over ramming speed 
in yeah, of course. in the yeah. aggro list as opposed to ramming speed. But ramming speed is orange, so it's exactly what you said. In those particular matchups, to not to beat a dead horse, but I'm looking to try and target double digit attack levels every time, or you're not puncturing their armor. You're not breaching it. You're not piercing it. Whatever adjective you want to, or verb you want to use. Um, so if you're not hitting those levels, you need to make sure that you're bringing it down and you pretty much hit the nail on the head that it's essentially three extra copies of ramming speed or however many extra copies of ramming speed of ramming speed is extra copies of supercharge. Wow. I can I can't talk today. No, I, <laughs> and, I, I, knew, I knew what you meant. Yeah. Well, for, to clarify for everybody else out there, because yeah. uh, it's kind of a problem if you can't talk and you're doing a podcast, it's an issue. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, you you get these extra copies of the cards and it's either the removal or you go, okay, well, I'll grenade launcher on Wheeljack and then I'll supercharge Wheeljack and then I'm going to bash Prime over the head with a wrench because I guess yeah. that's what Wheeljack does. <laughs> yeah, like, I think you're used... I think, like, to me, I, I, I had gotten out of favor of using supercharge in a lot of my decks and I think... Um, it has a place because the thing about armor is, and especially in decks like cars and, and Dinobots, decks that do not necessarily, I guess Dinobots is, is a different story, but like, especially in things like cars that don't necessarily hit you for 13 every single attack, like they just hit you for sustained damage because the untapping thing is what they do, not necessarily the right. getting gigantic is what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, like you said earlier, like if you assume they're going to block seven, everything you do over seven is what you need to do. So if you get to 15, that's going to be eight. If you get to 18, that's going to be 11. So like piling on and on and on has value in a metal like this. If you can't just destroy the armor that you're facing, like just getting yourself to ridiculous numbers is no longer going to be overkill. That's not as good in an aggro and aggro matchup because a lot of that extra damage winds up being quote wasted. Right. And that Um, was actually my next point is that if you, because you had brought up Dinobots, and while this theory, we'll call it, where you're just going over the top and trying to get the high score, it unfortunately doesn't work out when you sit down and the other person plops four Insecticons on the board. Because, yeah, you might get that Grimlock real big, but odds are they have more guys and they're doing as much or more damage every time. Yeah, so... I guess I guess the general point then is like you can use these cards in your deck, but you need to understand that they have certain uses in certain matchups. And I think things like playing with Wheeljack, for example, that allows you to draw a card and discard a card every single time you upgrade one of your cards gives right. you a lot more play. You ditch your ramming speeds against Insecticons. You ditch your supercharges against uh, Insecticons to get better answers. For right. So yeah, it definitely. Um, well, Wheeljack is a different story because I love that guy, and he yeah. <laughs> he makes a lot of decks. Yeah. In and of himself. But other decks can suffer from the I drew the wrong cards the wrong time syndrome if you start to add a lot of these answered cards in your deck. That's why I wasn't a fan to begin with, but I think we just reached a point where you have to have some of them. You just have to be prepared to, like, understand. Again, if you read Mark's article, like, he says, like, if you draw a ramming speed, don't ever use it on anything other than an armor, even if there's not one in play. And I think that's really... Right, it's a tough concept for people to grasp, especially if they don't have another upgrade to put. I mean, another action card to play in their hand right, right away. Like, hold a debilitating crystal. Don't just put it on a guy. Hold this. Don't just put it on a guy. I think there's, again, that's where the, in my opinion, fifty percent play skill comes into play. You don't waste these cards on things like, oh, I'm going to ramming speed your matrix. Like, no, like yeah. that's like, you know, like just hold it for what you know is going. Because if that comes down, even. I mean, I've definitely had games where, like, my Optimus had two life left. I dropped the body armor. My opponent had no cards in hand. Uh, they did no damage the rest of the game. So it, yeah, hundred so, percent. You know, you have to you have to understand what your enemy cards are, not just your enemy like opposing bots. So play the game and that's to your a, outs, I guess. That's exactly it. Yeah, play to your outs. You have to understand the matchups where it's okay. How this is how this game generally plays out. What do I have to play two to try and make that happen? There's all kinds of famous mm-hmm. stories across card games. I'm sure you've had a lot of scenarios yourself, Scott, where it's, okay, my opponent can only do this, and it feels like they top-decked it, but then you look back on it, 
and oh well they played the entire game trying to build towards drawing that card if they draw it in that scenario they'll win and it's the same sort of thing where it exactly what mark had wrote up ramming speed or debilitating crystal or whatever it happens to be if you blow it because of the way the game works you may not see a second one so right. don't just throw it away on something frivolous right so i guess the the other end of things aside from going all in on orange or trying to go way over the top is to i guess sneak in under the bar the limbo a little bit and uh try and just you know, do like a six inch punch right through the reinforced armor. Uh, and that's the pierce mechanic, which if I recall correctly, Scott, you were in a similar boat to me where I wasn't super enthused by it initially. Um, but just like some of the other things we're talking about is kind of come back as a result of what's becoming popular. Yeah. So there's, there's been, um, and I'll, I'll actually, I'll credit Joe from Record Rule. He was the first person I saw to actually use um, thermal weaponry in a in a deck on a, on video. Um, and it never occurred to me to basically like use your blues as offensive weapons because it gives you pierce. Right. Um, so like you know he would have like a five attack bot and then flip over you know four cards because of bold or because of whatever reason and like all of a sudden it was like. He was doing. He was becoming RC. He was, yeah, he was getting Pierce equal to his attack. A thirteen like, oh. health RC with a base right. five attack is pretty good, <laughs> right? So um, that was interesting. Um, I, I've seen other people try to use like Common Megatron and like other cards. Like I'm not here saying you should go be, play Piercing Blaster. Like trust me, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> going that route. Um, right, right. But I definitely think like. Like to me, and I, I've thought this for a long time, but like I've definitely, it's definitely more prevalent now. Like to me, the bigger they are, has more play than leap into battle. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, um, the ability to play uh, the bigger they are in any deck against uh, the primes, like especially like, like even like bigger they are on flame war is going to be four guaranteed damage against one of those primes. And four, I think, is not to break your train of thought, but would you say four, which kind of is part of the argument against Piercing Blaster and a lot of the Pierce cards in general, to be honest, uh, it feels as though if you're not doing at least four against those Prime decks, and really you want five or six, but at least four, you feel like you're falling behind. Like three is just not enough in an attack phase. Yeah, oh, definitely. I mean, like, and the fact that you can get that out of like a five star character or like a six star character is, is pretty good. Yeah, especially when they, otherwise they would have done probably literally nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They would have just been like stopping other attacks. Basically. Right. So to me, like that card should probably be more ubiquitous than it even is now, even in aggressive decks, even because even though it's blue, just because of the way that the the meta is shaped, but. That's another card where I think you need to use it sparingly. Like even in the mirror primes matchup, like Nemesis can still get in for four extra on Pierce on Optimus. So like if again if you're in a situation where you can't get rid of the armor, it's gonna be guaranteed damage. So between that between Pierce options um and direct damage, uh it's extra damage that you can deal if you can sneak in other points here and there. Now, again, like we've said, even without an armor, like if you assume Optimus attacks in bot mode and then tries to defend in, in alt mode, but that's you know obviously only on the first turn and then whenever he's not attacking, like they're probably gonna defend even without any armor four damage off the bat. Right. So like you said, if you can get four in there every single time, that's four attacks you need. So like if you can do a five five and a four, for example, that's one less attack that you need. If it's guaranteed damage with like Plasmaverse, one shall stand, one shall fall, or right. bigger they are coming through. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why, like, I, I I get the thermal weaponry thing, and I, I think it's um, cool if you can get it off, but it really only increases a clock that you already had other options to use. Is again, I think it's just using them intelligently um, in that situation uh, that'll help you just as much, if not more. I think I see what you're saying. So. Here's a, a weird question that I thought of as you were explaining all that. So let's say you're you're playing something, whatever it happens to be. You're including the bigger they are. You're staring down two primes. 
when you're talking about playing the cards intelligently, just like we were talking about earlier, holding your equipment removal for specific targets, what are your thoughts on banking the bigger they are until later turns when you do see those armor so that you're not wasting a turn as opposed to burning it now to guarantee damage early on? Yeah, I think that's fine, especially when you start to see lists that include like team-up tactics um, right. and things like that on, on the primes. I definitely think it's the right way to go. Um, you know, gets around late force fields, things like that. I, I think that it's definitely a way to go. I mean, there are certain decks... I mean, I know I'm on record saying I'm not a huge fan of, of Brainstorm, but if you do run, if you do run it, like playing more than one, bigger they are in one turn is gonna is gonna be huge. Um, or if you run like multi mission gear and things like that, it's gonna be huge to save that up for later turns. Um, the key, I guess, is what you need to understand is unlike other games, if you've come from other games. When I say control deck, I don't mean sit around and do nothing. And then win the turn, it. yeah. Right, right. It's, it's like, it's. I mean, it's not control combo. It's not... It, Optimus is still hitting for, you know, 8 plus. Right. You know, X. Mammoth is still hitting for 6 or 7 plus X. Like, they have huge star costs and they have huge stats to begin with. And, like... You can't give them enough time. Like even if Optimus flips over junk every single time, he's still attacking you for eight. Yeah. So like they do have a sense of inevitability. Like they're gonna yeah. get there. <laughs> so like you can't give them that much time. Like and this is I think the problem that I ran into by running Rare Megatron. Like you can't give them so many turns to keep beating on your options, um, or else you're just gonna you're gonna lose. Like even if you have all these things built in. So I think. Mm -hmm. Well, when we say hold cards for the right moment, like there's still a limit as to how you can go about it. But you know, I think sneaking in damage here and there by still playing defense. Because I mean, obviously things like um, thermal weaponry, you need blues in your deck and things like that. So like, it leads you to a mid range slash control build using thermal weaponry as like the the control way of winning, um, along with direct damage. You can get in there like you. Know, death through a thousand pin type decks. You just can't do this in like every single deck. Your deck still needs to be, you know, either defensive enough to survive multiple hits from them or I don't know, or aggressive enough to like, you, you can't play these cards in aggressive decks because the way it works. Right. Um, and that, there's no, that no. line is becoming more apparent. So, and we've had these discussions offline. I know I've talked with a number of people at the various events that we've been at where it's, it can feel a little bit frustrating where it's, okay, well, if I'm playing super defensive, playing all blues, why am I not just primes? Or if I'm playing all offensive, why am I not just bugs? Finding that middle ground right now has been definitely a challenge just because of the inherent inconsistency. And it also locks you out potentially of certain options such as thermal weaponry because, okay, well, I really want to hit, you know, if I drop it on Wheeljack, I want to hit Pierce 5, Pierce 6. I mean, in one of my games, I hit Pierce 9 because of a, a couple different factors. But if you're all over the place, you could end up with, say, 6 attack, Pierce 2. It's like, well, right, okay. Right. You know, it, that's fine, but you're going to feel real bad when the body armor's on the board sort of thing. So it's, it is definitely a challenge. It's, I think, a function of the limited card pool. And I think as we get just more options in general with Wave 2 and future releases that that problem will sort of work itself out. I, d I don't think anyone should listen to this and say, oh, well, the only options are all defense or all offense. I think there is a middle ground. I just haven't found it yet. Yeah, I just think you need to understand that, like, the Pierce on Thunder Weaponry, the Pierce on Energon Axe, the Pierce on Bigger They Are... Um, has more value than it used to have. Yeah. Um, I mean, I definitely know I lost games where someone's just like Energon Axe, and I'm like, well, that I don't care that you have six attack. That's never going to get through. And I'm like, oh, I just auto lose to Pierce 2. If I just take two damage and my guy dies. Like, you know, like. Exactly. It's, it's not insignificant if it's being backed up by um, an otherwise powerful, I guess, for lack of a better term. But I think the, co like, the combination of bigger they are and Energon Axe, like, yes. 
you're you're getting pure six, but you're also on top of five attacks. So that's never bad, right? Um, but it's like the pure six may be more relevant now. Pass where it's just before you're like, I would never play bigger they are. Than like, right. Where I care about pure four against Insecticon. Exactly. So, it's it's one of those that kind of like you said earlier with Wheeljack, where if your deck has the ability and you can. Just, construct your deck and conveniently wheeljack lines up well with thermal weaponry thanks joe uh it ends up where you can dig for options against the different matchups but if i'm hearing you correctly you would not go so far as to say you build a pierce deck right it, it's a complement and a a line of play or a strategy for you to address certain matchups you're not you're not saying i want to build a pierce deck and then hoping it's going to work against everything. It's just Pierce as a component to address primes or whatever blue decks. Is that what you're saying? I've seen people try to go that route with the uh, Pierce and, and it not be because they didn't draw the, the things they wanted they needed them. And they have absolutely no gain against anything else. So yeah, I would definitely try to use it as a sub-theme or like a these are good cards anyway. Like, mm. so, I'm, but, so I'm not going to be all in on it like like, to me, like, I think the common Megatron still has play because I really like his ramming speed flip ability. You know, Barrage is obviously arguably the best damage per star in the game. So, like, his give a guy Pierce 2 flip that no one has ever used, I think, effectively ever, like, you know, <laughs> ha has play. Like, you know, but on the flip side, like, I'm not saying you need to run three piercing blasters in all your decks or, like, right. I really love Fusion Cannon of Megatron. Like, these are not things that I think you need to go that far to the other direction. Right. Um, I mean, there might be. I mean, if you can find a build that works for you, go for it. Like, I'm not, obviously not here saying go play Crushing Treads. Like, you know, like, so, there, there are limits yeah. <laughs> to a certain extent, which so, I, as you mentioned that card, I realized I tried to pull right before we started recording. Oh, shout out to chat who, uh, we just got somebody in there, but, um, so I had tried to pull every Pierce card, and I realized I missed Crushing Dredge, which I'm not sure how, because that was a card I really tried to... Well, I was running tanks for a while, and yeah, it never worked. Or never, It, I, it did what it was supposed to, but it, what, it just wasn't good enough at the end of the day. Um, I agree with you. Oh, go ahead. There's things like, like, you know, like RC still only has 10 effective health, for example. Like, you know, like, if she had one more health or one more armor, I think she would be everywhere. Yeah. Because so. randomly throwing a grenade launcher on her feels great, but randomly losing her on turn one to your Prime's opponent who goes first feels awful. <laughs> right. Um, so. Yeah. She's definitely something that I had looked at for a while, and I, again, not to be all rule of thumbs, but uh, if you have the same stat line as kickback on the back end, I'm probably not gonna run that character if it's not yeah, back. And you're not doing eight to nine every single time you attack with a five super character. Yeah. It's just like I said, if she had there were a number of characters where I feel like a single bonus point somewhere or one less star or something would push them into the realm. Uh but right now mm -hmm. it's it it's definitely challenging to try and make room for these characters where it's just oops, they're gonna die. Yeah, if you want an example of where like we talked about the giving them too much time control deck thing, just go back and listen to like our discussion on why we thought tanks wasn't good enough, and that's like to me the the two all in on the Pierce route like discussion like with Dark Mountain stuff like that. You're just not doing enough damage. You're giving them too much time, etc. So right. So uh, I guess at that stage. Are there any other thoughts you had on either the Pierce route or the, uh, we'll call it the go-over-the-top route of Orange? No, I just, I, I think, I think the go-over-the-top route with Orange, but adding in some, I, I, I guess you could call them silver bullets, because, like, I wasn't running them before, and, and I guess I could see them more as silver bullets. Right. Like, it, it has play, it has, um, it's a, it's a good oh, look, we got our first troll. So, Sorry. So... <laughs> Sorry, I, I'm looking at chat as you're talking about it, and we got our, our first troll. Um, I guess we're, we're in the big time now. There you go. <laughs> uh, 
Well, to your point about the silver bullets, that's kind of why I included the crystal because you can treasure hunt for it. Um, yeah, same with drill arms. Like, exactly. And yeah. I, try, I tried. I tried this route before, but again, drawing specific cards in this game can be difficult given the lack of. Like you, you're not going to want to go the route of like I'm going to play inspiring leadership on my decks either to try to get the cards I need. Oh so, yeah, yeah. Outside of outside of blue decks and things like that, so you're left with fewer options. But you know, I mean, those options still have play. It's just that again, the nature of the game with only being able to play a certain amount of cards per turn can hurt some of these strategies when you have to take one of your actions every single turn to try to find these answers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can be difficult, and like that's why I'm more now in favor of running copies of working speed in, in aggro decks right like just allows you to naturally draw them and naturally without having to like treasure hunt for a drill arms or inspiring leadership for a draw arms like right or like equipment enthusiast for a drill arm and, like you don't have to use your entire turn just trying to do one thing you just kill that and move on like, you know, yeah so. you just find it naturally yeah and for people out there that either are new to card games or are just getting back into it this is a healthy thing that okay well Way back when, I think probably with your first article, Scott, everyone was losing their minds over Dinobots, and then everyone was losing their minds over Insecticons, and then everyone was losing their minds over Primes, and now people are starting to figure out and experiment with ways to address Primes. So pretty soon it'll be the the next thing that everybody is dreading to sit down across from. Uh, But it is a healthy part of the meta just sort of rotating like this, so... It's a good sign for those for anyone who's wondering, well, you know, two weeks ago, everybody said that this deck was great. All of them are still good. It's just, okay, now people are figuring out how to play against them, what the cards they want to target are, all that sort of fun stuff. Yeah, and again, play skill is the most important factor, so definitely play through those matchups and understand what you Oh, absolutely. And it, you had mentioned something earlier that I wanted to bring the play skill part up, that it's... I've definitely sat down in those times where, it, it, when we were talking about ramming speed, and we, you had said, oh, well, don't waste it. And I've definitely sat down, played something on a turn, and then not even before my turn was over, like the card literally just left my hand, and I went, that was a mistake. I should not have done that. Mm-hmm. Or I ended my turn, and I said, I just missed my window to do something. Like now, oh, you're gonna, we're going to untap, you're going to do this other thing probably, and now I just lose five turns from now. Because you can kind of map out where they're going with it. So you do have narrow windows to do certain things, but that's where the play skill and the fun part comes in of your decisions matter, which is I've played a lot of games where maybe maybe they didn't matter so much. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot um, lot more of a snowball effect in this game as it stands right now. Right. Stakes get magnified. Absolutely. Uh, you can definitely dig yourself a very big hole, or your opponent can, depending on how even your first opening attack, your first opening transforms. And understanding the matchup is very important, whether it's the ramming speed or flipping flame word at an appropriate time or attacking with this character versus that one, that sort of thing, trying to play around different outs. So uh, I guess without digressing too much more, any other final thoughts, Scott, or anything you want to plug that's coming up on the site or any other projects that are coming up? No, I mentioned in a post, uh, but uh, we are trying to have more regular content, as has been alluded to earlier. We are um, working on some video content, so look for a YouTube page from us soon. Um, I don't know how often it'll be, but our, our goal is going to be to have, I mean, to have a bank of multimedia content to make up for uh i guess the the difficulty in having uh topical written content every single day so right my eventual goal for 2019 if i had to this is the time of year i guess where we set goals would be to have a rotating schedule of multimedia content followed by written content followed by multimedia etc and all five days uh will be taken up because i i guess i until I feel like we can really enter that next step of um, what the community can expect from us and how how the community can be interactive with the site, we need to be providing uh, daily content. And so, like I said, my goal is to have a bank of multimedia content to be able to save it up and put it out. Like if you'll notice some other content creators, that's what they do. Like they, they bust out eight hours worth of games in one day and they, they have their content set for the next two weeks. 
Right. So something similar we can do, but at the same time supplementing it with uh, written content. As you've probably seen, like I used to be like a hundred percent of the written content on on the site, and now like I haven't had my own articles in like probably like what two weeks or something like that. So um, it's good that the rest of the team uh, is stepping up and uh, putting out more content. We're I'm making a dedicated effort to keep the deck list section um, up to date with all decks we've talked about. I feel confident that anyone that submits one through an article on the site, it's been tested um, and edited. So like, I have no problem putting those lists up as opposed to like random lists I might see other places. There's none of those anymore. Right. Most other people have those on their own sites. So, right. Yeah. So my goal for 2019 is daily content. It's just going to require a team of, of dedicated people and, or, um, like events for us to go to, to or recording of playtesting sessions, things right. like that, which we plan to do in the future once real life calms down in certain situations. So, of course, and that uh, brings me to one last, one other closing thing. Uh, if you hear any background noise through this, I mean, now that it's at the end of the recording, so you've suffered through this long. <laughs> uh, I'm getting some work done on my house, Scott. I know you're getting a bunch of stuff done at your place, so we apologize for that. Uh, we have definitely heard everybody who's commented that uh, some of the audio has been out there a little bit. So some of it we can't do anything about, such as the work. Uh, I did go out and purchase a new microphone, so I'm testing it out. Let us know how that goes. Uh, if people like the quality here, that sort of thing. Uh, as part of my, I guess, my goals for 2019, I do want to try and work a little bit more on this, get a, l- a little better stream overlay, uh, see if we can maybe get some more guests on. I do want to... Uh, Wizards, if you're out there and listening, we definitely love to have some of you guys on the show. Definitely going to reach out to you over the coming months. Hopefully, as Wave 2 comes and as we get more details, we'll uh, we'll see how that scenario shapes up. And I'm definitely in agreement with Scott that I want to do more video content. We want to do more streaming. We want to do all that fun stuff. So let us know in general, whether it's on Facebook, uh, on Twitter, emails, whatever your preferred method of contact is what sort of content you prefer, because we can certainly skew one way or the other. We're going to try and hit all bases, but if everybody says, hey, we love the articles, well then, great, we'll, we'll cover those sort of thing. Um, if you want to hear longer or shorter episodes of Tech Talk, let us know, and then we'll see what we can do. But uh, I guess any other last second things before we close up shop? No, uh, I mean, we're just, like we're working on a bunch of stuff and just continue to listen because we'll try to drop hints or actual information as soon as we can on some of the other stuff we're working on. Sounds good. Well, everybody, thank you for listening and tune in next time for more Random Thoughts. <laughs>